Sunday in the Park with George, with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and book by James Lapine, launched off-Broadway at Playwrights Horizons in June of 1983 and opened at the Booth Theater on Broadway on May 2nd, 1984. It was inspired by the French pointillist painter George Seurat's painting A Sunday Afternoon on the Island of La Grande Jatte. The plot revolves around the obsessive painter George, a fictionalized version of Surratt, and his lover Dot, and in Act Two, his great-grandson, also named George, a contemporary artist, conflicted by the cost of making art your profession. With us today is Jeff Award-winning actor Heidi Kettnering, who among her many roles nationally include appearances in the Sondheim musicals Follies, Sweeney Todd, and Sunday in the Park with George. David Cromer, one of Chicago's most accomplished directors and actors whose work on Broadway includes The Sound Inside, The Waverly Gallery, and The Band's Visit, for which he received the 2018 Tony Award for Direction and Nick Bowling, founding artistic director of Chicago's Timeline Theater Company and director of the Chicago premiere of Sondheim on Sondheim at Porchlight Music Theater, for which he received the 2015 Jeff Award. Welcome, everybody, to the roundtable. Nice to be here. Hi. Hey. So I remember very specifically the first time that I was introduced to Sunday in the Park with George. I was in high school. A teacher of mine brought in the album. We didn't see the video or anything like that. He had seen the show in New York. He came in, played the album, and described to us what was happening. And it blew my mind. Even as a, a numbskull in high school, I understood that what I was hearing, and especially when we got to the end of Act One, and a room full of high school kids were just sobbing, did I understand I was in the presence of something that was revolutionary, that was great art, that was trying to do something? What was your first exposure to this piece? Uh, well, I, I was in college um, and somebody had the CD. I had never seen it, I had never heard of it. Um, I think at that point, Sondheim wise, I may be new into the woods and that was from seeing it at some point when I was in high school. Um, and uh, similarly, I had never had that experience before where, it, and it's still to this day, it happens without fail. The first chord of the final song, I, I'm gonna cry even, even uh, talking about it. <laughs> I, I hear the chord of that, that, that first time when I heard it and I was like, I didn't even know what the song was gonna be yet. I didn't know what I was listening to yet. It was brand new and I just, my, I literally physiologically couldn't, couldn't contain myself from crying. Um, and I, I mean, it began a love affair with that musical. I just kept playing it over and over again. And I, I had never seen it. I didn't even know visually what I was missing. I was just listening to the words and to the music. And uh, it, it was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's really, it, I mean, the, the disclaimers make first is, is in response to also absolutely in response to what Huddy just said, which is like discussing it has to be prefaced by the fact that it's, it's a freaking masterpiece. Do you know what I mean? It's so, it is so much better than almost anything I can think of. It means more to me than most things. You know what I mean? I know that's not what we're asking, but like it's this, it's, it sits in a separate space for me in a weird way. I think the first time I was exposed to I want to say I saw it on Channel 11. I want to mm -hmm. say I saw the, the, the broadcast version. And I'm sure that that is before there was, I had cable. Um, so I don't think I saw it on like Bravo or, you know, or whatever. I'm pretty sure I saw it on Channel 11. Um, uh, I think I chanced upon it randomly. I was not very familiar with musical theater. I was not very familiar with things. I was in theater and I think I was possibly thinking I was going to be a director or end up a director. But the, my experience was the, the brilliance and cohesiveness and the cleverness of the show, of the idea that it, no one acted like they were in a musical. It had its own playing style, which didn't seem like anything else. Uh, the way it flowed in and out of music, mm -hmm. the incredibly, incredibly um, 
clever, brilliant conceit of the whole thing, uh, which is that what, what, what goes into the painting, what made the painting, and who are the people in the painting, which is one of those choices that is surprising and inevitable. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you go, this is neato. So if I were a little kid, I would love this, because you're like, oh, they're going to turn into a painting or whatever. And just the cohesiveness of it, the, it, that it was its own, completely own language. And I was not exposed to Sondheim in that level of complexity or that level of artfulness. So yeah, that was on television. And then later I, I think it was one of the first CDs I bought when CDs came out, which was later, because it wasn't as easy to see things over and over then. Um, I got the CD and the CD was when I really went nuts and listened to it like a madman. And we'll, we might talk about that later, but just like <laughs> listened to it like a crazy person. Nick, you know? how about you? I, I think it was when I was studying musical theater uh, in DC as an undergrad. And I'm almost sure my musical theater teacher had a videotape of the, of probably of that television production. And uh, I think I saw it on, probably on a, you know, 20 inch screen. It's probably the first time I ever saw it in a classroom, I think. And um, I remember being, uh, thinking it was astonishing and thinking that I, I had just seen, I'd seen a live production of Sweeney Todd when in the late, in the late eighties, 86 or something like that. And, and it, it, Sweeney Todd just like knocked me over at, at age 17 or whatever it was at the time. But then uh, I would say Sunday, the, it didn't hit me as much. Well, I will say I, I connected strongly, I think more strongly with Dot when I first saw the show, like I connected with that character and that's the character I associate myself with. And then later in life, I find myself connecting more to George and, um, and I've fallen in love with it over years and years. Uh, I guess that's however many for all of us, probably, you know, almost 25 years or whatever it is, 30, 30 years or something of, of falling in love with it. And um, it's, it, it, to, to me, it, it's the show that maybe speaks to me People ask me all the time. In fact, I was asked on a Zoom call a couple of days ago, what's the show that you want to direct most of all? And it's Sunday. It's, this is the show that I want to direct more than anything right now. It's at the top of my list. And, uh, and, and it has been for about 10 years, just that nobody wants me to direct it for them yet. So someday my fingers are crossed. Uh, um, I'm, I'm throwing uh, this out there. I would gladly be in your production of <laughs> No I love it. That's great. And, and you know that's what? Honestly, job. I was sort of thinking about. I'm sorry. I, I interrupt. Oh no! I'm, that's that's it. That's that's how it is. I mean, I I'm, it's it's at, it's at my heart too. I, I, I just assume, adore it. I assumed in many years, over the years of being a director, that I want to direct something in the Parkwood George. But I think I realized I've realized a couple of times when it's come up, not when I've been offered it, but when someone said, "Why don't you pitch this?" or "Why don't you talk to someone about that?" And I go, eh. And, and in coming into this conversation, I actually don't want to direct it. I like it that much. Do you know what I mean? I don't sure. want it. I actually, it's like, a, it, it, which is weird because anything I let you play, I love. I want to direct. I want to, yeah. you know, get my meat hooks on. But like, I think I don't. I think I, I'm pretty sure I don't. You know, I, I wouldn't want to. I have a problem with the idea that I think that, uh, and, 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 and I'm, uh, thank God Nick doesn't feel this way. Uh, I feel like because it's so cohesive, because it was two people created the kind of the four elements of it, you yeah. know, music, lyrics, book, and direction, it's so cohesively that it's sort of done. Yeah. That's just my, that's just my, my experience. It is, it's basically done. And that there wouldn't be much for me to do other than try to run rehearsals efficiently. Which would never happen. That know? in itself, though, is you know a challenge. As you well, you know, know. yeah, you know. Uh, and I'm not saying you. I know lots of directors, and I've seen. I saw the. Um, you know, I've seen it a couple of times. Gone like, okay, okay, okay. I just don't have one of those. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I I would say that uh, it wasn't until a couple of years ago, and actually, it was working on Sondheim on Sondheim at Porchlight, where I felt like I have an idea about this show. That's maybe it's not brand new but it's an idea that i think is fresh enough that that it's it gave me that chroma it gave me that feeling of like oh now i know why i i i don't just want to direct it because it's a cool show and it's astonishing and it speaks to me but i have an idea about it now finally and it took a long time to get there actually and it came through porchlight so it's interesting how that comes around That's great.
And also, it's just the, the experience. You just get to listen to it. You would get to listen to it in a room. I mean, seriously, <laughs> just to be working on it. Yeah. It speaks so much to, you know, the thing I love about it so much is it speaks so much to artists. It speaks to, to us as artists. Uh, it's a love letter to us in a way. And it speaks to how we work in the world with relationships and with love and with commerce and with our career versus our, our profession and our love. And that's, I think that's what's so beautiful about it for me. That's what I love so much about it. Yeah. One of the things that, that jumps out at me, um, we all have mentioned seeing, I believe Heidi did too, uh, mentioned seeing that that particular video captured. I've never um, seen it. You've not? Oh, wow. No. Um, wow. Well, there is this video capture of the original Broadway cast, which I think to some degree for those of us who experienced that version first, and at that moment in Sondheim's career, with Mandy Patinkin and Bernadette Peters at their sort of most powerful height and connection to him as his muses. Uh -huh. There's something about that, I think that, that really deeply affected me too, being exposed. I don't know that I was that exposed to Mandy Patinkin before that production and, and putting all of that together and wondering, you know, the, the dog song and how he's such a wonderful vaudevillian spirit, Mandy Patinkin, and he can do all those vocal tricks and go, was a lot of that created with the actor in mind or how did it evolve? I just read a great story. Nick, were you about to tell that story? No, go, go, Carl. I just read a great story. I mean, I, in preparation for this, I'm just a moke. I was just reading, look, I made a hat. You know what I mean? An hour ago to... to, to uh, but he was saying, he, when he wrote that song, he wrote that song because he'd seen Laurie Anderson use a vocoder. And Sondheim wrote the song because he'd seen Laurie Anderson do a vocoder. And the idea was that the vocoder would be built into the sketch pad so that you could process George's voice to do all the dogs. Oh, oh, oh. And right. Mandy said, Mandy came to them and they, he went to James and Sondheim and, and auditioned. He said, here's three here's three voices for the dog, here's three voices for the poodle, here's three, and they would say, they pick voice A for, you know what I mean? So that was like the, the experience he said, and then at the end of it, he said, he's curious, he would one day like to see it done with technology, but Mandy said no. So, he, so in that case, he didn't, although now it becomes the job of the actor playing George right. to do all the dogs to do all the dogs. Yeah, it is fascinating because I, I also did a little reading before today and one of the things I didn't know about the show is that uh, like when they offered the part to Bernadette Peters, there were three songs and 20 pages written and that was it. Mm -hmm. And so there was so much because uh, Stephen Sondheim was like, that's just not how I, I work. I don't want to create something and then really realize that it doesn't work. If I have people that I trust, it, which he did, then I can build them around them and what they can bring. And so how much of that was sort of written as they went. Yeah. So it really was this beautiful cohesion of who did we have? Who had we hired? Who, what this ensemble together was? Because also, I mean, I've, I've seen snippets of it, but every time I sit down to watch it, honest to God, I get so emotional, I, I have to turn, I turn it off yeah. because like it's, I mean, it just, honest to God, being in it was very complicated because you can't burst into tears standing on stage as Frida, you know, like, <laughs> Frida's got to be a little. It's her story now. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I can't stand there going, <laughs> it was really hard. <laughs> so in any event, list, just listening to those people and being able to tell just orally what this, uh, oh my God, I, I get, I get speechless. And it, it always, it, it struck me and I rewatched that particular video just in anticipation of our talking and it still kicks me in the gut when the painting comes down, how much the character looks like Bernadette Peters to me. And I kept going, did they change it? Did they, I don't know why, or maybe I just buy so. I bet you're projecting that. I mean, I, I bet think, you're. You I know. think I am. Yeah. That scene I've watched countless times. When that parasol comes flying in, oh, I just lose my, lose my mind. Yes. But and the other thing I was going to say about sort of the cohesiveness of it, I guess, is because a lot of, because the director was writing it while he was making it, writing the part he wrote, he's also writing his own direction. And what I guess what I meant is, I don't know that there's anything to do other than 
it says a white stage, it says things appear, it's, it's how you do all those things, but the sequence of events, like any great piece of writing, is set, you yeah, know? Right. And in this yeah. case, it is, well, it's, it's also a great guidepost, you know? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I didn't see the production that was in New York a few years ago that had all of the projections, but I have not seen anybody really go, there's an, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a elephant in the middle of the room and it's that painting. It has to be that. It needs always to be a variation on that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that in some ways that's why even the actor's original performances, like there was such a stamp on that original production that you, you don't see happen sometimes a lot anymore that, that you really have to wrestle with what Lapine put on the stage. I think I respond to the playing style, which is that, that he, they found a way that the people in the painting, because of the way they looked, might stand and talk. Mm -hmm. Instead of them just doing musical theater, general kind of musical comedy behavior, and then with mincing around with French accents or something, there is a, they're all in the physical postures of the, I've said it, that they're manifesting and that's why it had a playing style all its own, which is again, just one of the things I think that's astonishing about it is the, the fundamental originality of it. Right. Which is that it's an idea that hasn't really been done. Right. Yeah. Um, it breaks a bunch of rules about musicals, like the show starts at the end of the relationship, essentially. And it's a hundred years of aftermath from a breakup, which takes place 20 minutes into the first act. Yeah. Or so, you know. Yeah. It's just that, it, that I, and I was, I was thinking, yeah, that it was just like, that you don't know what's going to happen. You, you have no, you haven't seen anything like it. I'd never heard anything like it. I'd never seen in that playing style. Yeah. And I had, you have, there's absolutely no way to predict what's going to happen in the story. It's so funny you should mention that because it, it, it's one of the things that jumped out at me when I was re-watching that production and thought there was a scene in Act Two with Bernadette Peters speaking with young George mm -hmm. as Dot. And I thought that that speaking voice of hers, that style of acting, you don't see act. She bridges a generation that goes back to the sort of golden age of Broadway with mm. that carriage. Yeah. You don't, I don't, you know, I mean, Heidi was in a brilliant production uh, that, that I saw. And of course it's been done brilliantly since, but it does really demand a certain kind of actor, doesn't it? Yeah. It really, really does. I mean, it's because the story is so, uh, Heightened is, is maybe not the word that I want to use, but it's so, it is so specific. It's a, it's a specific time. It's characters in a painting come to life. And um, it, it, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the kind of performance specifically from her that like, I think if, if I were to do that kind of a style in almost any other musical that I would be doing right now, it would, it would appear over the top and corny and odd and uh, and yet none of those words enter my brain when I think about the bits of the of the video that I've seen and in listening to it it's just it's of it's of a it's of a piece all its own yeah. um, and it's like for a young I mean for a, a theater student hearing it for the first time it was it was it I mean I've said used the word before but it was like a weird little master class for me of listening to it and and figuring out how to a how does she make those sounds but how like I can hear through a seat through an through an album I can hear her smile I can hear her cry I can hear her anger I can hear all of this stuff that I don't all of the time hear on a on a original Broadway cast recording yeah, yeah, she's a, it's yeah, cool it's, too but, sorry I was just gonna say that uh, that second act uh, dot is interesting, Michael, because uh, she's a different woman in the second act. I think the second act of the show is so interesting. It's a polarizing thing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people love to say like the first act is great. And, and I've heard many, many people say that that second act, I just can't get over it. And I love the second act. I think, I think it's what you were saying, Cromer. It is, it's unexpected. It's sort of like, you know, he starts it, just as you kind of expect him to. Like, he starts it as if, oh, we're gonna stay in this 19th century world and it's gonna be the world of the painting. And then all of a sudden he shifts, you know, a hundred years forward almost 
and you're in a brand new set of rules. And, and all of a sudden there's really not a love story, but all of a sudden you're talking about really art and, and how to sell your art in commerce and, and critics and, uh, and it sort of becomes a different story. But Dot in that second act, when she comes back, she's so much, and I love this about Bernadette, she's so, she's different. She's, she's now able to look back on it with, you know, at, even at him as if he is George, but she, she, she's grown up, she's matured, and she's sort of this, she's the wise one all of a sudden. In an, in, you mean when in she's a, Marie or when Dot comes back at the end? When, I, when she's Dot in the second act. When, she's, yes, when, when Dot comes the, back at the end. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not yeah. when, she, I mean, of course, Marie is yeah. brilliant too, just because she's, you know, meant, I mean, she's got to be about 100 years old, yeah. theoretically. Right. Yeah. If it's all true, which doesn't really make sense, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, but yeah, I really mean dot in the second act. Yeah. So. Well, um, I also, like, here's the thing. The second act's kind of an interesting topic. I don't know, Michael, if you want to talk about the second no, act. No, absolutely, <laughs> because it has this notorious, uh, as Nick is saying, there, there's a, people either love it or they hate it and think that it's a problem. And I've seen it done where it was my favorite act. Yeah, yeah. me too. It can the be one, done. The one fancy show business story I'll tell is I worked with Manny Eisenberg, who produced it on Broadway, and he said, we saw the second act. We said, it's wonderful. We said, what happens in act two? They said, don't worry. <laughs> but, but uh you know and it was his raconteur story I, but i what when people say they don't like the second act i sort of impose a, an interpretation on that which is what they mean is they miss the first act yeah. and i think you're supposed to miss the first act these guys did not say let's completely leave all these characters that we've invested in because why not everyone will be glad of it they did it because it would be this feeling of loss and and we would feel unmoored mm -hmm. you know yeah. and i don't know if they knew that in advance but that you're it's about missing the fact that he then goes back he wants to feel inspired again which george did feel inspired in the first act our george uh, our modern day george does not he goes back to the island the island has been re rebuilt right. he he summons somehow dot who he doesn't even believe is real or or is related to him you know, uh, because it's about just craving it and missing it. It's about getting older and it's about, you know, I was, yeah. uh, I was real, I was thinking earlier when I was listening to her, I go like, I, when I was young, I used to skip over, um, uh, um, what is the mother's song? Um, changing. Uh, what's oh, beautiful. Uh, beautiful. Yeah. Changing oh, beautiful. or beautiful. Yeah. Change, yeah. 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 You know, the, the, the trees, all towers, beautiful. That tower, beautiful mm -hmm. mother. Um, yeah. I used to skip that because who cares? And now I listen to it about four times. Oh, in it's a so row. beautiful. But you're right. Yeah, it was the one I'd skip. Yeah. As we look, 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 you make it beautiful. Oh, Georgie, how I long for the old view. But anyway, but what I'm saying is that my defense of Act Two is that it is it is a further boldness on their part, which is you leave the lush, beautiful, sad thing you and and are stuck in the ugly real world. Yeah, you know. I read a really like, interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go, I read a, a really interesting quote that uh, somebody asked uh, Stephen Sondheim. You know about that and about you know how many people walked out in Act Two and reviews that didn't like it and. He said, you know, when people ask me, why didn't I just end at act one, that act one, just act one would be a publicity stunt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the publicity stunt is not why I want to do it. I want to do it for the story. And the story cannot be told without act two. Yeah, I could do act one and it could be gangbusters because it's amazing and it ends. There's a beginning, middle and an end. And, and it, that would be a publicity stunt. And that's not what I'm interested in. And, and that quote really, really struck me because, um, you know, it, it, it's true that if, if it had, it's similar to Into the Woods in that regard, that a lot of people are like, I, if you stopped at the end of act one, I love it. Well, those, I hate that yeah. act too. Yeah. And yeah. you know, then, then sort of his point doesn't get told. Yeah. And the truth is act two is what our business, our life is really all about. It's about when it gets hard and when you lose your inspiration and when, when you're, when you, you get the bad review and you, and you're, you're feeling in a rut and you're feeling stuck and how do you find your way out of that that's mm -hmm. our that's that's what really being an artist really comes down to it doesn't come down to that sunday in the park 
yeah. you know, Sunday at La Grand Jatte moment, it comes down to all the other shit that comes before and after it that's that you've got to find your way through to get to those big moments, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And the other part, I mean, to David's uh, point, that that emotional, what, what kicked me in the gut when I saw it again just now was when all of those other characters come back and greet young George. First of all, there is this, the magic of going, I know who all of the characters are. They're yeah. not just the painting pictures. They're living, they're actual fully yeah. rounded characters of which... I understand and recognize and know who they are. And that moment when they all bow to him and he bows to them, that acknowledgement spanning the ages of, of we were here before you, but we're here because of you. And the idea that these writers created this piece already having the cast of characters, their challenge was to figure out what was the story. Yeah. That always blew my mind as, a kid, well, I picked up on that immediately and going, how did they figure out this story? It could have been anything. And yet it's so compelling and perfect. And the interactions and the introductions of Dot's relationship with Louie and, and how all of it goes. Um, that's the thing that really, how it all ties together at the end. I agree with you, Heidi. I don't think that you could just leave it at act one, yeah. which is what they did at, at Playwrights Horizons it was only act one until the very final three performances. Oh my God. Uh, and then they finally, uh, they were working on it. As okay, the, uh, sure. As they were going along. I just read that today. That was fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Now here's a question that goes along with this show and it has to do with the period of time and the moment. You know, there was all of this heated discussion because of what happened at the Tony Awards, which was that Sunday in the park was pitted against Lacage. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, sort of apex of what Jerry Herman had commented as the good old fashioned show tune versus this. And I don't think for a minute he was trying to be, um, you know, vindictive towards Sondheim in his winning of the award, but this was a moment, obviously, in, in theatrical, in, in the journey of a letting go of an era, and this, as so many then writers got accused of being faux Sondheim, everybody was feeling, oh my God, I've got, it's gotta be Sondheim-esque. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that, uh, that, that, that competition or that, that there's any validity in, in the sort of friction between those two shows? Yeah, I think there's all kinds of shows. You know, there's all kinds of shows and there's needs to be room for many kinds, as they say in The Seagull, you know. Uh, we need to make room for many kinds. Sondheim had won like every other time he'd been nominated right up to that, hadn't he? Wasn't it something like he'd won every time? He'd won every time he'd been nominated and didn't. That was like the first time he didn't win. It's something like that. So it's not like a terrible crime was committed. Yeah. To, you know, yeah, I mean, I think there's got to be all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to be less, it shouldn't say there's always going to be. It seems like just my little perspective on Broadway, living here for a couple of years, is they generally are going to, there's going to be fewer of the art house musicals. They make a little less money if they're successful, um, or a lot less money. Uh, but also giant, giant traditional ones also bomb and hemorrhage money and explode and bankrupt people all the time. Um, and, uh, but, but what are we here to, we're not here, this is not a Jerry Herman, you know, this right. is not a Jerry Herman retrospective. I mean, what could, <laughs> could you, I love, I love Jerry Herman, but I, I spent the last couple of days in preparation for this, thinking about how cohesively densely perfect this thing is, no. you know, and mm -hmm. like realizing there isn't enough time for me to quote all the lyrics I want to quote. Well, and it's interesting when I was asked, you know, uh, uh, of Sondheim's body of work, you know, what are your favorites? And I didn't, it was a comp, that's a complicated question. I mean, this one is always going to win for me because it was, um, I don't, I don't want to say it was my first, I think Into the Woods might've been the first one that I had, but it's mm -hmm. the first one that I had the response that I had to it. Um, 
but because they're all so, some of them are very similar, but they're all so vastly different. So like, even when somebody says they're making a Sondheim-esque, yeah. we want you to make a Sondheim-esque musical, what does that even mean? I mean, because you've got the sort of Sondheim, Hal Prince era, you've got the Sondheim, James Lapine era, you've got, I mean, you've got the act one is a complete departure once you get into act two period, and then you have something like, company which is you know like an ensemble piece that is sort of timeless and then you've like got you all at the same time and yeah. yeah like they're all so vastly different in so many ways and yes musically um i did the the big uh the big 90th birthday at the auditorium this fall and, and what was so interesting about it was a lot of people were like well how do you the shows are so magnificent. How do you pull songs out? I can only think of like four songs that I would pull out and my, my head exploded when I heard that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, some of them are not, you know, ABAB three and a half minutes long, yeah. but that's part of what, what is so exciting about him and why Sunday in the Park with George to me is just so magnificent because you can have an eight minute long song followed by a two minute long song followed by a song that, never really completes itself because there's scenes weaving in and out of it. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, the, I want to listen to them all together and I want to pull them out. Yeah. It's just you have a, yeah. magnificent. Sorry, carry on. I was going to say, you have a song like, it's funny, I can't help it, Cromer, because I feel the no, same way. No, go ahead. Let's, let's quote every best lyric we have in the show, but you know, you have a song like Everybody Loves Louie that you're like, well, this is just this cute little song, yeah. but in that song, you get that lyric that, but, uh, you know, but there are Lou, uh, but there, uh, and there are Louis and there are Georges. Well, Louis and George, which is such a simple little lyric, but it's just like, it says it all in a way. That's, that's, you know, that, and, and, um, oh God, that's what I love so much about it is that, that these, the, the songs, um, plus the, the motifs that run through this thing, the, that motif of that's everywhere through the whole show that is painting, but it's powdering and it's writing and it's all those things. It's magical, you know? He yeah. musicalizes pointillism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a theme so that we both, so that you can understand what he's doing. You can feel what he's doing even if you never see the painting, because there's right. a tension to that that is like crazy. And then yeah. there's all this tension, oh, it's the tight rhymes, the like the weird internal rhymes, like the one I thought of today that this doesn't sound that interesting is, um, is uh, how still it is, how odd it is, and God it is so hot. But the thing I was gonna say too, in terms of tight, in terms of, I, I was fascinated by, and I wanted to maybe sort of throw this into the group too, which is like the, the fact that it's, it's very tight. It is low in terms of event so that it can explore theme and, and, um, and the fact that he, 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 that everything he does, the sound of the painting is the music. It's also the tension of the obsessiveness. You know what I mean? Explaining pointillism is also his obsessive tension. Oh, these are just imaginations. These aren't real things. I'm sure he would argue with them, but these are my responses. And then like, just the, the, the way the word forever repeats and means something different every time and has different contexts. You know, I think the first time she says it, it's a durable forever, you know, mm -hmm. which, which she just wants to sort of casually be important and last forever. She has this noble thing um, forever at the end of the act, which is the most beautiful sound <sighs> made on earth, which is when everyone says forever and what forever, <laughs> what that could possibly mean. Then the very next time is like when they're stuck in the painting forever. It's just, you know, like yeah. all the, right. all the, all the imagining, all the, all the thoughts about permanence that you can have in a play where all the characters die. <laughs> you know, <That's> true. <laughs> you know, in 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 a in a in a life where nothing is forever. I just like like art and love and life, which what else is there? <laughs> yeah, well, and it's right, interesting yeah. that you brought up the old lady song. Um, and that it was the one that you would skip and, and now yeah. you listen to it. Because I, I felt that way about that song and about lesson number eight in act two. I, as a young person, I couldn't, yeah. I, I mean, I, I now can see it's because I couldn't quite connect with it. I couldn't quite, um, and because I couldn't connect with it, 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 I didn't think I can't connect with it. I thought, well, this one, I, I don't love this song melodically. I don't, and now those really are the two that 
I go to in that show um, to listen to a song. Yeah. Because the, uh, you know, it's sort of like, oh, there's something for all ages, but it sort of is. It's like, it's one of those things that it's like, um, of course I didn't con quite connect with it when I was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. I hadn't lived quite enough. Um, but now that, that lesson number eight song for me, like it, it's another one, I think about it and I start to get choked up because it's, it's also, what's so cool to me about act two, you're absolutely right. It's a show that doesn't have a lot of event, but it does have a lot of kinetic activity. There's always people around. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you have those moments of stillness, when you have those moments of one, like finishing the hat, when you have, but finishing the hat, he's got all of the little animals around him. Yeah. Something like lesson number eight, where he's all alone on that empty island yeah. in a play where you've had, you know, art isn't easy. Everybody's singing all at the same time. It's just, it's so beautifully purchased yeah. and, and earned. George is afraid. George sees the park. George sees it dying. George to may fade, leaving no mark, just passing through. Just like the people out strolling on Sunday. George looks around, George is alone, no use denying. George is aground, George has outgrown what he can do. George would have liked to see people out strolling on Sunday. I love your idea too, Cromer, about event and, and about the, the, the sort of lack of event. But what's so fascinating to me is this huge canvas and this man who then took each little section of it, the monkey, the dog, the woman, the two ladies that, that are you know sitting together. And in some ways, what he's doing is sketching. And you know that they were all created by as sketches first. And the songs are like sketches. So it's true. It's not like an event. It's more like it's 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 impressionism. It's 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 a dab on this little area, and then it's some of this, and then it, and in some ways it's about how it's you realize it's not connected. There are all these di disparate pieces, and then of course the end. That's what it is. Is by the end he says that it all as you step away from it. That's when it all begins connecting in a way, you know. Mm -hmm. And that in a way is the theme of the whole thing. That notion of connection and finding connection. And literally that point, and also jump everything back off what you're saying, literally dots of color that are separate and then you step back and they become one thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's Beautiful. the tightness of it. It's the cohesiveness of it and that he can, it's that he can, I mean, I was thinking about like, you know, what, what, would, what will we say in any of these things other than God, what a genius, but um, <laughs> he and Lapine, we can't leave Lapine out of this, uh, uh, but what they were able to do in this and in, in my mind and into the woods are be specific about an incredibly specific thing. Like how did this guy uh, find all the people about this guy looking for people and then arranging them into a painting and then arranging the dots into colors and then all of those things and back and back and back and back and back. And then the aftermath of that, the, the, the hereditary aftermath of that, but also that and into the woods, like what do you do after you think it's over and life keeps going is just about, those two musicals have almost everything you need to know about life written in them. Yep. In a way that I think that people say Shakespeare will tell you everything you need to know about the world in it. And I think these two shows, you sort of have almost everything appropriate you might need to you know to articulate an experience about like trying to live a difficult, messy, ongoing, you know, shabby life, shaggy life, you know? And they're only what, two years apart from each other? and. Yeah. So, right. Many of those okay. cast members from Sunday end up in Into the Woods too, you know? The, yeah. His mother yeah. and uh, the little girl ends up as Lord Riding Hood. And, and, uh, well, and also, I mean, interesting, Into the Woods was right after this in, uh, was the next show that he wrote, but right before this was Marilee. Yeah. Right. So right. coming out of something else that was highly experimental, but hugely disappointing. Yeah. yeah. To, be, to be able to come back roaring, you know, out with this and go, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go in this direction now. Yeah.
uh, it was just, I mean, what, what, a, what, what a time, you know, what a time that, that he, of him at that moment in his furtive writing and, and, and what the types of things he wanted to say and, and what he was able to accomplish. And this sort of ensemble, Nick, as you're pointing out, of actors that you, you know, you recognize Betsy Jocelyn from Sweeney Todd in this, and, you right. know. Um, Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. It, it's fascinating because you could make an argument that that coming out of running aground after a long run of successful things with Hal, running aground, and then going, what do I want? Should I do? What do I want to do? And he reaches out to this experimental playwright from off Broadway. You know, yeah. in in the book I just read about. You know, he, he reaches out to this strange off Broadway playwright who he admired. And when they would meet, Sondheim would say, why don't we do a musical version of this story or that story or this, this book or that book? And, and Lapine would talk about images and ideas and feelings of the, why don't we write a, a show about, you know, this picture, you know, or, you know, it's such a strange, he went another way. Right. He did not do Chromalume number eight. Right, you know? exactly. And what a gift for him to be able to meet and find a new collaborator. A new collaborator, yeah. A whole new, a new level of juice. Yeah. And of course, that's just something that a lover of the piece applies to him. That may have no validity <laughs> in Sondheim's life, but like as lovers of it, we just start to interpret because we're so invested. Well, I think the, it begs the question, could he, do we think that he could have or would have written this with George Firth and, and put it up with Hal Prince? What would that production, would it have even happened? Could it have even happened? Yeah. So it, you know, it's different. In Sondheim, uh, in, in Sondheim on Sondheim, there's all these great interviews of, of him talking about, and you know, one of the things that's so really lovely about hearing him speak is how, um, how he often says, don't, don't underestimate my collaborators. Don't think this is all Sondheim. And it's a lovely thing. And of course, we still want to kind of say, but come on. It's pretty much you, but you know, but he says that and he says they're, they're the ones oftentimes who are really coming up with the big ideas. And uh, anyway, so I, I think it would be very different. And, and I think that, you know, again, I, I would say don't underestimate Lapine. Yeah, absolutely. Oh That's yeah. I mean, there's so something to that. Cause really, if you, when you look at his body of work there, if, if you've studied it enough, you can see like, this is the Hal Prince time. This is James Lapine time. And, right. and, and that obviously has to do with those gentlemen, you know, right. in right. collaboration with him. Like, what would that collaboration have been with uh, uh, on their end without him? Who the hell knows? But luckily, we don't have to find out. I yeah. mean, you know, we have we have what what we got, which is just we, magical. We and call it stuff, collaborative yeah. art. Go, so, oh, go. go no, no, go, Grammar. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, we call it a, a collaborative art form so much that word kind of loses its meaning, but it really is like when you were saying, what's a Sondheim song, which well rigorous uh, at the work of a, of, a, of a mind, I can't conceive of its complexity or its thoroughness or its cohesiveness or its ability to see patterns or its ability, whatever. But still he is, this is a strange avant-garde off-Broadway show. Mm -hmm. that became yeah. you know what i mean that became it is it is a it is an avant-garde thing it is a strange off-broadway kind of a thing which they did do off-broadway sondheim says in this book you know i had never you know the difference was i was working for the first time with non-broadway people hmm. yeah. i'd worked with broadway people always including his mentors and his other collaborators had always I been yeah. Broadway people and he had, you know so yeah it is I mean and certainly this is you know Sondheim did not say I want to what Lapine said to Sondheim apparently is uh uh after they were you know when they were discussing what do you want to make a musical or what what should we adapt Lapine said what would you like to write about <laughs> Not like what, what, because Sondheim was said he was always very literal, like we'll do an adaptation of this right. George Kaufman play. We'll do, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And he said, like, what would you like to write about? And he said, theme and variation. And then I, they started on that. It's just incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, the collaborator is like, we can't, I mean, Lapine also, you know, Sondheim didn't direct it either. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. So if you had, as let's take this maybe as our, as our final uh, 
question on this. Uh, <coughs> if you were if you were trying to describe this to somebody, there's the show you want them to see. How do you describe Sunday in the Park with George? Oh, oh my God. How do you describe Sunday in the Park with George? I want you to go see this show that I that I know and I love. This is what you're going to experience. I just think about you, Heidi, and I'm similar. You're going to cry. Trust yeah. me, you're going to cry in Act 1, and you're going to cry in Act 2. I mean, um, you're going to cry. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but, but you know, um, I don't know. This isn't the, the best answer to your question, Michael, but, you know, for me, it's, it's about that. I love that line, children in art, and it's about what you leave behind. You're going to leave behind children, or you're going to leave behind art. And, uh, and ultimately it's about that idea. And that's what I find so beautiful about it. I just think it's su such a beautiful musical. It's such yeah. a, it's like a, yeah, I guess it's like, it's like an incredibly rich and complex uh, uh, piece about your, your, how, your soul, how your soul struggles through love and art, you know, and, and you know, and uh, you know, it's not for the. I wouldn't say this. I'm just gonna say it's not for the faint, but just the how you how you mo on a moment to moment level like struggle through those with those things with children and art, yeah. you know, yeah, with, with love and with yeah, with love. I mean, because yes, for me, it's like it's a it's a a life lesson, like a timeline life lesson told through art, mm -hmm. um, because you even have you know you have the young you have the young Celestes and you have the middle aged and you have the elderly, and they all get a moment to tell their little story to get to him through this art. So I guess it would be like, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful sort of life lesson journey told, told through a paint, a paintbrush yeah. and a, you know, and a note and a notebook because yeah. he's also writing it all down. And a uh, celebration of art and of artists, mm -hmm. you know, and, and of, of that art of that act which is a, a strange but beautiful thing that some people get to do yeah yeah i mean i have to tell this little story because it's i mean it's the it's it goes down in history as one of the top five days of my entire life um one when we did the show at chicago shakespeare i was in the sec the second go round that they did it they did it up beautifully up in the black box they did it sort of on a runway set yeah. so and i was actually behind the painting which was a really cool way to, to watch it. Um, but when we did it, one of the things that we got to do, um, we got to go to the Art Institute on a Sunday morning before it was open and sort of be in, the, in, in costume. We were in full costume and, um, and be in the room with the painting. And then they had created a version of the painting with most of the people missing. And they had it hung at the top of the grand staircase in uh, the Art Institute. And so they opened the museum and they had us sort of like peppered in in the museum. And so for like 15 or 20 minutes, we were just sort of looking at paintings dressed in costume and we were getting some glances here and there. But then out of nowhere, the music ba -ba 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 -bum started and Jason Daniels shouts order and it like booming through the Art Institute. And we all turned and we sang, oh my God, I'm totally gonna cry, <laughs> Sunday and like walked and you know, you're in a museum, there's hubbub and, and noise and it got immediately silent. And that grand staircase got filled with all of these people who were just, who were there, they don't know, you know, more than half of them for musicals, but they were here to see art, completely stunned into silence as we sung this song and stood in front of the, it, it, for many reasons as an artist, it was magical because it would have made me feel but also because this is the main reason I like to do theater. these people experience that 
knowing that they had taken the time on a, it was a beautiful day too, on a gorgeous Sunday to come inside a museum because they wanted to look at art. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that we were all a part of that and something that has been going back and back and back and back and back. Art has been something that goes as far back as we do as a, as a, as a, you know, the human race. Yeah. It was just, it was a perfect moment in time. And like specifically watching those hundreds of people ex- who did not come to see a musical experience that moment that for me is like the quintessential moment in a musical. It was, it, it was uh, unlike anything I've ever experienced. As, as I try, like, as I generally, I try not to take myself to try and fail not to take myself too seriously. So <laughs> I don't, you know, it, it, it's, it hasn't worked, but, and try not to kind of like, um, glamorize the job that much, the, the task, you know, the sort of job is art in the arts that I've given myself and glamorize it too much. But I, I, I saw a meme the other day, which made me laugh, which is like when someone tries to remind you that this is not, a, you know, that art is, it, it, that no, no one cares about your, your art. Remember that in this quarantine, everyone has survived by reading books, listening to music, mm-hmm. watching movies. Um, uh, you know, dancing, taking dance classes. We have survived by doing those things, being with people we love, eating, you know, but yeah. doing those things. And the thing people most want is to go out and consume art. I mean, sure. maybe they want to get their hair cut, but they want to go to the theater and they want to go see music and they want to, you know. So it, it reminded me, it, 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 cha- it shamed me into respecting <laughs> <laughs> what we do. <laughs> Well, that's as good a description of art <laughs> as I have heard. Uh, Nick and Heidi and David, thanks so much for participating and joining in on this. This was great fun. Sunday. Thank you for asking. This was yeah, fun. Michael. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Good to see you guys. Bye.